Welcome to the Renegade Yogi podcast experience. Join myself, Zorananda, and this episode's guest as we explore yoga in the modern world. Prepare yourself as we will experience yoga like never before. Hello and welcome to the Renegade Yogi podcast experience. My name is Zorananda and today we are diving into Anahata Chakra for a solo podcast episode. First, I just want to address some little changes that I did to the podcast. So one is the setup. I put this table in um, instead of that little table and uh, I had my producer, John Atonic, gift me a compressor to add to my Tascam stack for all my sound quality. So now the sound quality is way better. It's nice and balanced, especially when I have a guest. I was finding that the method that I was using to try to balance out and equalize the sound just really wasn't working out. And he pointed out that I was going to need a compressor and he had one on hand and it makes a world of difference. Um, and it was his idea to also change up my setup a little bit, change up the camera angles, um, make it so that it's from the waist up, just like how you're seeing now. And overall, it's been way better, I find. So with that, let's get into Anahata Chakra. So Anahata is located in the center of the chest and is associated with the heart. Its Bija mantra is Yam, and the sense that it's associated with is touch. And so this is a great way of understanding how to show love through um, physical touch and affection, right? That um, when we give someone a hug or give someone a kiss, like we can really feel, um, especially when there's a closeness and there's a deep kinship with the other person, that there's really love coming through um, whoever is giving the hug or whoever's receiving, right? So when you consider the word anahata in its totality, the definition simply comes out as unstruck sound. But when you break it down into its etymology, what I found in, in researching this is that it can be actually be broken down into three words. And I'm just gonna use my book here for a reference. So future life progression, meeting your future self. On chapter three, I talk about how I created a mantra using anahata within it. And so the way that I broke it down was looking at the first part, ana, the second part, hata, and then a third part, ahata. So 
Ana translates to breathe. Hata translates to struck. And Ahata translates to unstruck. So this is important for me in really understanding what anahata is and how it relates to the body, largely because of ana, meaning breathe, which seems strange because when we see the totality of, of the word in its definition, it means unstruck sound. And so I think there's this link between sound and breath and to breathe through vibration, right? Because when you breathe, you can feel that there is a subtle vibration. Even if you're as silent as possible, just breathing through your nose, that there's some kind of sensation that's happening and that sensation is a vibration, especially when you do a audible breath, like ujjayi breath, like your vocal cords and um, your larynx are vibrating because of the breath. And why it's important to consider this is really the connection that Anahata has with air and why the element of Anahata as a chakra is air. And that when we breathe, all of that oxygen, all that air is being pumped and circulated by the heart. And so the two are really interconnected. And so when we look at struck and unstruck, we suddenly have unstruck breath. Like there's a breathing happening without any initiation of it, without any um, force to it. And that seems a little weird because when we think of our heart, there is a noticeable beat, right? So it's, there is a struck sound, right? You have a doctor that listens to your heart through a stethoscope. The doctor can hear the heartbeat and can identify uh, that indeed there's a beginning and ending to the dudum. But in Anahata's case, there is no dudum. There is just it as an existence and as a being and as a flow that is never ceasing and is always expanding and all there is. And so this is important, again, to consider as we look at the element of air that is in the lower three chakras. You look at Muladhara and you think of the earth, right? In order for anything to grow out of the earth, there has to be little pockets of air for the microbes and the bugs and the roots to actually move through. If the earth was just completely solid and there was 
no way for anything to penetrate through, we wouldn't have any capacity to grow anything, right? So the soil needs air, the earth needs air within it to actually allow anything to grow. And then if we look at Svadhisthana, in order for water to be a liquid, it needs oxygen. And so there's air within the water to make it what it is. And then when you just look at the ocean, for example, and you look at the sea creatures that live in it, there are mammals that live in it that need air to survive in it. There's plants in the ocean that actually can photosynthesize and produce oxygen. So it's, it's becoming increasingly evident that air, this quality of Anahata, is pervasive. And then when you get the Manipura, it's very evident that you need oxygen to even start a fire because without oxygen there's no fire because that's what feeds the uh, the fire itself it needs the air to actually allow there to be combustion so that then there's energy release and then when you actually get to anahata because if you if you listen to the manipura video I talked about how there, there's this gap between Manipura and, and Anahata, right? And there's, it's, a, it's a necessary thing. There's an initiation there so that when you're in Manipura, you can use your fire to actually lead the way into the heart because Anahata is responsible for the initial spiritual quest or the initial spiritualization because in the lower three chakras there's a kind of ignorance because each chakra has these limitations within their elements right so when you think of earth and how solid it is and it just stays in place and then when you think of water it's horizontal and flat and um, takes the shape of its container but when it's just left to be on its own it, it it's influenced by its environment and then when you have fire it's vertical and unchecked it just becomes wild right so once you get into anahata then you have this expansive quality to it because it's in Muladhara, it's in Svadhisthana, it's in Manipura. And so there's this point where, yes, you can work on each chakra and you can try to balance each one in that way. So you can learn the psychology and you can learn all the components to it. However, to be in a place where there is alignment and there is this sense that there's harmony between the three. So think of it as like a chord in music, right? That each chakra has its own note, just like has it has it has its own bija, that the harmony is that you are playing each note with each other 
and they're creating something new. And what that newness is, is the expansiveness within Anahata. So let's take a look at the image of the yantra of Anahata. So if you're just listening to this, um, I'll have a link in the the audio version. I'm just re reminding myself now that I th think when I uploaded the the other chakra videos, I didn't put the link. I'll definitely make a note so that the link is there. Um, so for those of you watching, you'll see that it's not like what you typically see in the rainbow scheme of the chakras, right? Um, first of all, it's not this kind of vibrant green. There is this kind of forest teal green background, but the petals are red and the star tetrahedron, the geometric shape in the middle of the yantra is this dark green, almost kind of like a smoky kind of color. And then there are th four entities this time. And I, I want to look at the entities or the beings like Shiva and, um, and, and the others. Because when you look at the top one, um, seated in that triangle, right? So there's Shiva on the left. There's this other one on the right. There's this other one right above. Then there's this kind of like energy that's going up into one above that. So that to me is the signifier of how Anahata is this gateway into the upper chakras, right? And, and we'll get into that a little bit more. Um, and, and so what we really want to notice about the Yantra is that the entities or the beings are aligning with each other, right? They're forming this triangle inside and they are the, the gatekeepers to it. So this is why I think Anahata is actually a difficult chakra to really get into because it demands spiritualization. It demands an awareness that to go into the heart, excuse me, and to go beyond that, you have to prove yourself. You have to prove that you've learned the lessons of the first three chakras. And, th and that's not to say that you've necessarily mastered them, but what's that, what that says is you've, done the work enough where you've done an asana practice, you've done a pranayama practice, you've went through the lower three chakras and you've brought up something within them that causes either like blocks, which I, which I don't really like that word, but um, which causes these um, patterns of behavior to be more negative or to be more selfish or insecure or unstable, right? So if you were to look at it um, starting from the bottom up, right, where you have Muladhara, 
that there's this instability. So you got to work with how to become more stable as a human being. And then when you move into Svadhisthana, that you work on being less insecure and more harmonious with the people around you and your sexual energy. And then when you go up to Manipura, that through your independence, you're not burning people and that you're using your fire to actually help others and to um, make a mark in your life that is productive and you're confident about it. So then when you get to the heart, you let go of all that. You, you let go and you trust that Anahata takes care of maintaining the relationship between the three. And then you don't really have to think about the other three so much. You can, by any means, spontaneously, you can, you can do practices to work on them. But it gets to the point where as your practice progresses and as you become just more flexible, physically strong, mentally strong, emotionally strong, um, kinder and, and more harmonious in that sense, that you are called to go deeper into your heart and you feel it intuitively that the work now is to enter into the heart and to see where that goes. And what starts to come up is the necessity for healing and particularly the use of the Bija mantra to really shake things up in your body so that your heart can show you what more needs to be healed. And this is really powerful because we think that the heart is such a vulnerable place and that it's kind of gushy, right? Like coming from your heart, um, there's this kind of romantic sense to it when in all truth and reality, it is a very powerful center. It is the center for the maintenance of your life, right? Because you can get into an accident and you can be completely brain dead and yet your heart can keep going and you can be in a vegetative state and be alive. But if you're stabbed in the heart or you have a fatal heart attack, you die, right? But because with the, without the heart, there's no blood pumping. There's no oxygen pumping. As soon as your, your brain doesn't have enough oxygen, it just shuts off. And so we really need to give more credit to the heart. And we really need to understand that it has its own intelligence and when we go into a space, we interact with its intelligence and its intelligence tells you there's healing need to be done. And the Bija mantra is really great in participating with that healing where when you're doing, say, a Kundalini class, and, and I'll give an example of it later of a really powerful Kundalini class I had in my 200-hour teacher training that really tra changed my life where you're doing a Kundalini class and you're focusing on your heart and you're, and you've just done this asana practice with a lot of breathing, a lot of movement. If it's like tapping on the chest and twisting or something that when you sit still and you chant and you focus in on the heart and you send the chant into that space, it's going to amplify the healing. So say if you didn't do all that work 
and you try to go into your heart and it brings something up to heal, chances are you're going to have a resistance because you're still going to be operating in this kind of beta brainwave state where all of your biases and your judgments are still going to be operating. And so when something comes up to be healed, you're not going to be ready for it and you're going to push it away. But when you do all of that strong movement and strong breathing and strong focusing that you change your brainwave state slightly out of the beta wave into the alpha state and really amplify into the gamma state where then you're actually so much more prepared and that can just rush up and bring to the forefront of your mind what needs to be healed. And in that time, you can send into it the bija mantra. So the bija mantra is yam. So you are like yam, 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 yam. Another one is ma. And ma, as you can hear, is deeply associated with the mother energy, with divine mother. And so you can really have an impact on yourself in totality of your physicality, your emotionality, your mentality, your spirituality, and doing this kind of practice and chanting other yam or ma and really sending into the space of your heart this mantra to then clear out anything that's in there that's stagnant that really can um, promote the healing that you want to happen, right? Because... We are a whole host of traumatic experiences and we just don't know it, right? Because there's a natural defense mechanism within the brain that is like a storehouse of traumatic experiences, but there's amnesia almost surrounding it. And that's there on purpose. It's to safeguard us so that we aren't just having these strong flashbacks of traumatic experiences all the time it, it, if you think about the nature of the mind and the flow of thoughts we're having 10,000 or thoughts more a day imagine if 8,000 of them were just straight traumatic experiences that would be you'd go crazy no one would be able to function properly so the brain purposely has the section where it just goes okay all that stuff that will torment you we're just going to put this in a safe space However, with the onset of something like PTSD, that initiates the stream of those thoughts and the streams of those traumatic experiences to actually come back into the forefront of your brain. So I, I need to be careful here. I'm not saying that just doing this practice is going to cure your PTSD. That's not the case. What I'm saying here is that there's an opportunity to address the trauma consciously so that you can look at it in a different perspective. So say if right now, suddenly you're, you have a, a burst of a memory of a traumatic experience and you don't know how to deal with it because it just comes out of nowhere and you're like, holy shit, what do I do with this? What the practice can do where you're in that moment of doing all the breathing, say if it's um, like Kapalabhati or something, <laughs> or you're doing the twisting and tapping and breathing <laughs> and doing it really strong and powerfully for extended periods of time, that you are signaling 
for the trauma to come out, but you've changed your perspective and your brain state so that when it does come out, you can assess it and it's not so shocking for it to come out because that is really the intention of it is to release that stuff through the heart. And then when it comes up, you can stop, close your eyes, really become clear and focused, have that traumatic experience there and chanting this bija mantra into it so that you are repatterning that exact part of the brain because for that image to come up, that means there has to be activity. That means that there's energy going in through the neurons. There's this signaling that's happening, right? There's this like, it's a spotlight that's shining right on that part of the brain. So then what this technology is doing is then using the bija to repattern that part. And so that's just not going to happen right away, right? It, sometimes it, it takes years of practice to get to the point where you can have a total experience where you really feel that you've repatterned that and you've really healed it. Um, so this gets into my, my story, my example. So when I was in my 200 hour teacher training in the last week, is where I met my teacher, Yoga Rishi Vishvaketu. He's the founder of Akanda Yoga, which is that's the practice that I teach, um, or the, the style that I teach, that's what I practice. And in that last week, we went out by Sylvan Lake in Alberta, and we went to this beautiful place called the Baha'i Center, and uh, we got to spend a lot of time with him. On the Thursday, so already, you know, four days have went by. On the Thursday, or sorry, on the Friday, this is when the Kundalini class um, was happening. Um, I, I have another story about Vishuji. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll tell at the end. But on the Friday, we did the Kundalini class. And the way that he structures the Kundalini class is that you have your initial warm-up and assessment and um, you bring awareness to the chakras and um, it's just a nice way to introduce a sense of what you're about to get into. Then um, you can either focus on a couple chakras or you go through each chakra. And in this class, we went through each chakra. So we started with Muladhara, we worked our way up to Svadhisthana. We worked our way up to Manipura. And by this time, it's getting intense. The movements that we're doing are intense. The breathing that we're doing, the bija mantra that we're chanting, because um, that's really the sequence, right? We're, we're doing a, a posture that has a lot of repetitive movement. Um, then we're doing a breathing exercise that is done for an extended period of time. Then we're seated and we're chanting loudly the Bija mantra. So we get to Anahata and we're doing the movements. Everything seems normal. We 
are doing the movements, we're doing the breathing, then we get to the bija. And this is where instead of yam, we're chanting ma. And as soon as we start chanting ma, something changes within me. And at first, I'm resistant immediately because I can feel something in my gut. I just feel it kind of trying to make its way up. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm focusing on the power of this. And uh, I'm just, you know, I think I f- felt like I was in control, right? But with that rising of this thing in my gut coming up, suddenly I just, I start getting emotional and I start, uh, I start feeling like I'm going to cry. And, and I just immediately just, I try to stop myself. I'm like, no, 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 no I'm not, I'm not going to cry. And Without warning, this, whatever it was, burst through into my heart, and I just immediately started bawling and crying, the hardest I've ever cried in my life. And while this was happening, everyone is chanting Ma. So imagine like a room of, you know, 20 people. And this like ma is echoing ma, 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 ma. And it's getting louder and stronger and louder and stronger. And I'm just bawling. And suddenly I'm, I'm seeing these flashes of images of my mother. And, ev- and not every time, but times where I was rude to her. I like yelled at her if I was a kid and I was just being disrespectful. And, and I saw these flashes going backwards in time where I was becoming younger and younger and younger and younger and younger till the point where finally I'm in her womb and I'm still crying at this time. I'm not crying as hard. I'm just kind of, kind of sobbing and I'm like, it's still coming out. And I'm in my mother's womb and I can hear her heartbeat and I can hear it so clearly and I can feel her emotions. I can feel her mind. I can feel everything about her. I'm just, there's just so much that I'm learning and I'm listening to this heartbeat. So I suddenly hear my teacher's voice within me and it's clear and it's right in the forefront. Like he's like right looking at me. And I hear that is the language of the heart. And I just immediately start crying again. I just like burst out again, just bawling and bawling. And it was a different crying this time. It was, um, it was like it invoked a memory within me, a, a memory that I lost. And I just wasn't in touch with anymore. And it, it just... Like, it's like the realization, like, oh my God, how could I have forgotten? How could I have forgotten that I learned this from my mother so long ago? And I've just been um, just so rude to her and so mean to her all throughout my life up until that point, you know, just all the times I would disrespect her and not listen to her and, and yell at her if I was mad and... And all these things just, it all just came up. And the ma chanting started to subside. And 
I was still kind of sobbing and he goes, or my teacher Vishuji goes, okay, it's time to go on your back. We're going to focus on, on Vishuddha. And we lay on our back in Shavasana. And he says, if there's any sound, anything you want to release, now's the time to do it. So I, I'm still kind of sobbing, you know, just like those post cry kind of like chest convulsions, <laughs> you know, and, and I hear people around me, they're going like, oh, um. and what came out of me was this guttural primal deep scream i just screamed and it filled the room and everyone went silent and i i just kind of like right after that i briefly opened my eyes and i and i looked over at vishuji and he was just looking like with his eyebrows up and kind of surprised and a little bit of a smile on his face and he said okay now just relax you know um, time to just be in Shavasana and just allow yourself to let go. And every part of me wanted to roll onto my side and curl up into a field position and, and just, um, cower in this, in, in what I thought was this weakness. But I was just like, no, I've just got to be open and I just got to lay on my back. I'm still raw. Like there's still all this emotion coming through me and I just let the, the cries still kind of continue and draw out. And then finally he guided us to come up, come into see a position and we ended the class. And when I got up, I was the clearest I've ever been in my life. It, there was this, spring of joy that was just bursting through me and I was just I couldn't help but just have my eyes like just wide open I was just smiling at everyone it, I, I just was renewed I just felt like so much healed and I just I understood now what it meant to love my mother and what it meant to just go to her when I got home and just tell her, Oh my God, I'm so sorry for everything that I've done. And maybe that doesn't make sense. Maybe she doesn't really remember. Cause she like mothers when you are, are going to love you regardless. Right. But I just had this profound experience in this one class and it really changed me for the rest of my life and how I approach my mother and the kind of relationship that I have and, and accepting her for who she is and, and all, all the things that she teaches me and how she is and she supported me and everything. And I remember when we were, when we were all leaving in the class, there was another fellow named Rob who looked at me. He's like, man, you, that probably felt great. And I just looked at him and I was like, yes, I feel so good, you know, and, and he said like, yeah, I just, I, I, I had that come up too. I just, I had this, you know, sense that I needed to cry, but I didn't. I was like, yeah, you probably should have because I, I think a lot of us did, but that's, that's the thing. Like what I was saying earlier, that 
we need to really prepare ourselves for that release because the insecurity not to cry in front of people, the fear not to look weak and the and 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 the shame that's not coming from the heart that's not a blockage in the heart that's coming from the lower chakras that's the inability to find the interconnection of air within us so that we can find that path upwards so if we feel like shame and and, and guilt and um and insecurity that's really coming from the second chakra that's a stagnance within our water right and, and to think about it, when we cry, what's released? Tears. Tears are released from us, right? And so it's really we're shedding all of those emotions through our tears. And that is so powerfully healing. And, you know, like I said earlier, that, that might not come about from one class because I've, I've had Kundalini classes or no. Yes, I've had Kundalini classes before. I've done strong asana classes all that year, but I never had anything like that. And so there's really this combination of not only having a class that's like that, but also having a teacher that can hold the space for that. And Vishuji did just so wonderfully where he even showed up internally in that experience and that's that's really what showed me how powerful this person is and why he's my teacher um and that's not the first time um but i'll I'll save it for the end because i have um a little bit more just to go on and discuss about anahata chakra so what all this does Right. So that in that sense, my experience was a lot of healing of the lower chakras. Right. A lot of he- he- healing of shame around my parents because um, they were from Serbia and they weren't like my other friends, parents who were Canadian. And um, there was with them, there's no language barrier with my parents, um, especially my mom. There's a bit of a language barrier. Um, and then. The the rudeness and the inability to be kind to my mother and understanding and all that stuff. Right. So that first needs to be healed, then starts the journey in, then the gates are open, the doors are open and the intelligence of the heart says, all right, you're ready. Come on in. And at that point, when you first start to navigate the space of the heart, it starts to show you what more healing there is to do. And once you've assessed your just personal things and maybe family things, then there's societal things. Then there's the influences from the outside world. Then there's also your ancestors and your lineage and possibly past lives and where when you start to open up to not only your personal healing, but then the healing of your ancestors and the healing of your consciousness that stems beyond this life, both prior to and afterwards, that you start to enter into 
a new realm, and that realm is Vishuddha. And I just want to go into it a little bit because that's the next chakra, and we're really going to dive into it. And so to think about it, right? Vishuddha is the throat. So you have your whole body and the elements of what makes up your being. Then you have this bridge, which is your neck, right? Your neck is a bridge from your body to your head. And so Vishuddha is the bridge into the higher consciousness. And in order to access it, you need to go into the heart first where Instead of thinking of it this way where the heart is here and Vishuddha is up and it's a vertical thing, when you go into the heart, you're actually traveling into the heart and this flips horizontally. And then now you're going deep into the heart horizontally and you're going into it, into the realm of time of Vishuddha and timelessness and time in all capacity, past, present, future in one duration. So I think I'll leave it with that. I'm going to end with a story of my teacher, Vishuji. So the day before my whole heart chakra opening Kundalini class, on Thursday of the last week of the 200-hour teacher training, I woke up at my alarm clock at around, you know, I think it was like 5.30 because the class starts at 6. And I usually wake woke up at 5.30. Um, I really want to get this, um, cause I, I'm pretty sure there's a meditation before the class. So I woke up and I wasn't feeling too well. I had something going on with my throat. I just did a whole month of yoga every day. So my body was, you know, feeling sore. And I thought to myself, well, the way that the, teacher training worked is you could only miss two classes in the whole training and and so I was like well I missed one because of my brother's wedding and so I have technically one more that I could miss and then I'm not gonna be reprimanded and potentially not graduate so I was like you know what I'm just gonna chill today um I'm just gonna get some more rest so I I go back to bed and suddenly I wake up and I sit up in my bed and I look at the front door of my little dorm because, um, the way that it was set up, it was like, there was, um, this long building with individual rooms. And when you went through the door from your room outside, there was a meadow and then a forest. And so when I woke up, my door was open and looked like it was noon or midday because the sun was shining through and I was looking clearly out into the meadow just as it is. And I was like, holy shit, did I, did I just sleep for six hours? Did I just miss the whole day? And I, I see these two white butterflies fly by and then I see Vishuji standing at the foot of my bed and he's wearing all white and he's illuminating this white, soft white light off of him. And I look at him, and he just reaches his hand out, and he says, come. And, and I look at him for a second, confused. I'm like, what are you doing in my room? This is, like, how did you get here? This is so weird. So I was still in the state of mind that 
I wasn't feeling well and I, and I didn't want to go to the class. So I looked at him and I said, no, Vishaji, I'm not feeling well. I, I, like, I can't come to the class. I just want to rest. And so he, he lowers his hand and suddenly I wake up and my door is closed. The sun is just rising. It's still kind of dark in my room. I look at the clock and it's just before six o'clock. It's like five minutes before um, the class. And I'm like, holy shit. I just had a full on lucid dream vision of my teacher coming to me, wanting me to go with him out to who and I and I didn't go. And I and I said, no, I wanted to rest instead. And I, I was just so beat up by this. I was like, oh, my God, I, I could have just went on this whole astral journey with my teacher. And, you know, I I denied it. And so I just laid back down. I was like, ah, whatever. And I went back to bed and I woke up a couple hours later for um, just in time for breakfast. And I moved on with my day. Later on at around noon, uh, it was after lunch. Vishuji usually went to his dorm to just take a little nap. He calls it a little Shavasana. And I caught up to him and I was, I was like, Vishuji, I just want to share this experience that I had this morning. Um, you know, I had this dream that you came to me and you wanted me to go with you like out. I don't know where, like you just said to come with you somewhere, but I, I said no. And I was still tired. And I was like, did you do that? Like, did you like project yourself or something? And he just laughed and he said, no, 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 no. I noticed that you were in class. And so I thought to myself, oh, I, I hope he's, I hope he's okay. I hope he's doing okay. And that's it. And I just looked at him, just jaw dropped. I was like, oh, and I just laughed and I was like, okay, yeah, that's, that's really funny. But when I, when I left, I was thinking to myself, I was like, wow, all this guy did is think about me and wonder if I'm all right. And that manifested as a whole lucid vision of him coming to me. That was the signal to me that this, this yogi, this Himalayan master is legit. And from then on, I, I just knew that this is my teacher. So that to me is the significance of getting into Anahata. That is what leads to experiences like that. So if you're wondering how you can start to have phenomenal, phenomenal experiences, how do you start initiating these spiritual synchronicities? It's not going to come about remaining stuck in your perspectives and your perceptions of a limited material world because that's coming from those first three chakras because they're naturally limited right the earth is limited to being this solid unmovable thing the water is limited to only being horizontal and only really moving from something external pushing it like a river and and wind and fire is limited because it's only vertical and it's based upon how much oxygen is going into it where Anahata then is the unlimited, unconditional love, unstruck sound. That's why the element is air. When you look out into a clear blue sky, it's 
unlimited almost right you can look in one spot in the sky and it just seems you you can't find an end to it right and so when you invest your practice going deeper into your heart you will attract either people that help bring about these experiences or internally entities and deities or just more synchronicities that show you that you are going on the right path through initiations for you to expand in your spiritual awareness. And the next step is Vashira. So I'll leave it at that. There's a lot to think about there. Um, one last thing. There's a practice that you can do that's, that can really help open this and it's called kati chakrasana kati chakrasana and essentially what you're doing i don't have too much room here but you're opening your arms out like this in a t and you're twisting and tapping over your heart and exhaling through your nose <laughs> twist the opposite side and you're standing when you're doing this. Or you can be seated if you're doing a particular um, kundalini. Actually, regardless, you can be seated and do this, standing or do this. I like doing standing just because you can get really the full rotation of the movement. So what this does, you have a gland, um, let's see, right above your heart. So right about here called the thymus gland that gland is attached and connected to your hippocampus and what tapping here does is it stimulates the gland to send signaling to produce oxytocin and that is what really allows you to begin to open up into processing these limited kind of lower chakra emotions and psychology behaviors and stuff like that because you are using the oxytocin to then change your brain state because right now in your normal day-to-day -day, just right now there isn't any oxytocin at a high amount being produced right it's it's basically dormant it's waiting for particular things, right? Oxytocin is that like love drug, right? It's the love chemical it brings and initiates bonding with um, your family, your loved ones and people and animals and just things, right? And so when you do this exercise, you are actually making the oxytocin happen voluntarily rather than involuntarily rather than you know someone uh, buying you some flowers you know oh wow and you smell the flowers and you feel this love and you get this little hit of oxytocin where here you can do this exercise and literally pump the thyroid uh, thymus gland to then produce oxytocin so that you enter into a new perspective and then be able to assess through that new um, arisal of oxytocin to have an unconditionally loving perspective on your life, 
on whatever comes up. Say if an argument from last week with your coworker or a friend or a family member suddenly, suddenly comes up, you have now this tool of the oxytocin of this love to then have as a kind of lens to look at it in. Where if you didn't do that and that came up, maybe you'd perpetuate the story. Oh, yeah, fuck that person. Like, they were so mean to me. Like, whatever, man. Like, I don't care. That's perpetuating the cycle in the story where you do this exercise. The thing comes up and you go, yes, that person was rude. However, I want to do the best that I can to be a loving person. And I choose to love myself and to love that person, and to know that, yes, there is some kind of injustice here. They did something, but I don't know the full story. I don't know what state of mind that they were in. I don't know what they were going through. Maybe um, something happened in their life that they're just not telling anyone, and so they're just kind of lashing out on people, and that gives the opportunity to have compassion, even though... There is unknowing because you don't know what that person would have gone through. Say if it's just a person on the street, right, where um, you get into a kind of like an altercation. It just seems random or like I said, it's a coworker, a family member or a friend right, or an acquaintance where even though there's unknowing, the compassion, that oxytocin, the unconditional love opens up. An awareness that you can understand that whatever they're going through is not about you and that you can choose to be loving. So with that, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I hope this uh, podcast helped. I hope you got something out of it. Um, please feel free to message me any questions you like. You can find me on Instagram, yogi.zorananda. Likewise on Facebook, yogi.zorananda. Um, you can, um, yeah, those are the primary places that I, that I operate in. Um, check out my website, www.zorananda.com. Right now it's very basic. Basically, there's a you know a little blurb about myself. You can buy my book on there. You can buy you can buy my music, and you can buy my meditations. So the meditations go with the book. Um, as you'll see when you get it, that each chapter is a different exercise, a different meditation, and the um, the the guided meditations on my website are just going to help you go along with the book. So. Thank you for watching and listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Enjoy.